All right. Welcome to the venue. I am Greg Wolf, your host. Uh, with me, of course, is uh, Jason Russo and Jason Judy. Uh, Hen is out uh, this week, so we wanted to bring in some uh, full Jason power and be in full effect. That's right. Um, so, uh, so welcome to the venue where we talk about the issues you deal with on a day-in, day-out basis once a month. Uh, lots of stuff to talk about this month. Uh, first up, we just want to give you a quick update on what's happening uh, when IVM calendar. As you can see on the screen, uh, ABSS is going to be coming up in late February 21st to 25th. Uh, please sign up now. Uh, seats are limited, but we definitely uh, want to see you here in Dallas coming to the Academy. Uh, at the same time, Guest X, our Guest Experience Conference, will be going. We co-located in the same location, the beautiful Renaissance Hotel, and here in Dallas, Texas, from the 21st, 23rd, we're going to have a lot of great speakers, keynotes. Scott T. Gross speaking about uh, guest service. Excuse me, customer service. Uh, we'll kick off with Dale Carnegie. Uh, we actually we're going to have uh, our uh, speaker Jeff Cockrell on today's podcast, but he couldn't. He had some scheduling conflicts. So what we'll do is we'll record that next week and then email the uh, the, the interview out to everybody. Uh, and we'll also be doing an exercise at the beautiful America Inline Center, and there'll be a joint exercise between ABSS and GuestX. We'll be simulating a um, concert, and there is an accident with the scaffolding, and what do your teams do? How do they adapt to it? So a very real-world, applicable, applicable exercise. And then, of course, we end the week uh, with graduation at ABSS, and the next day is our severe weather preparedness uh, uh, study, excuse me, goodness, program. That'll be a, a day-long seminar on severe weather and what your venue can do to prepare and adapt. And then, of course, Performing Arts. That's in beautiful San Antonio, Texas. Uh, registration is open. Uh, it's going to be from March 7th through the 9th, so please come on down. Mr. Quinones is our keynote speaker. Uh, you might know him from his ABC show as well. We're also having a special uh, security session uh, which are also followed by a town hall so that the performing arts community can get together and talk about um, the security and their own venues and what they can do to be more prepared. And then, of course, our schools are rolling up. Uh, SES is in May. Applications are now being received. Please uh, please register to go to beautiful Ithaca, uh, New York. And then BMS, BMS year one, year two, and, of course, GI. So Applications still being taken for both schools. Uh, I believe Jason applications for scholarships. Yes, we have a one scholarship to VMS and then also eight internships. Um, that deadline is February 15th. Um, so if you have any students, whether they work for you or interns, um, even even if they're graduating in May, um, they're still eligible. Um, I know last year we had, I think, four interns that already had full-time jobs lined up but received approval um, to still come an intern. So very valuable experience. Um, you get to work with with the wolf. Right. And, and much like Video Connect, uh, you will see lots of foundation um, interns at that as well. It's a great opportunity for uh, any bright young persons you know to meet uh, the industry veterans that will someday hopefully be their boss. So wonderful program at BMS and Video Connect, of course. So please uh, send that application to any eligible people you might know. The one, uh, one requirement will be that you need to be 21 to apply. That's just so that someone at the end of their uh, college career who's really considering the next step, uh, it's really for those individuals. Uh, but, of course, we hope anyone younger than that will apply the next year when they're eligible. Uh, and then let's see. That is actually currently what is coming up new uh, on the calendar. So we thought we'd kick off a uh, big decision uh, NFL, the Rams, going to L.A. Uh, we actually were AMC 
this fall and talked to the gentleman who was the head of the St. Louis's bid. And sorry, go ahead. The task force. The task force. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I know maybe Jason, maybe you could go through just basically what was the bid from St. Louis. Um, so St. Louis, so I'm a, from St. Louis, a little heartbroken, uh, to be local, honest. Local correspondent. I will yeah. throw that out there. Yeah. Uh, but yes, yeah, so the Rams, sorry, it's not the Rams, the city of St. Louis had proposed, um, I believe it was 400, 400 million worth of public funding towards a $1.1 billion stadium um, to where the Rams would still have to fork out $250 million, yeah. and the NFL was going to fork out $300 million. Or something well, around, I think it was around there. Well, wasn't it two hundred million, and then the city asked the NFL for another hundred million? Correct. And there was a big, and that was right before the meeting. And I think the commissioner balked at that. Yes. Memory serves. Shot it down, but then offered the same thing to San Diego and Oakland. So right. was, obviously there's some some controversy there. So then going into the NFL meeting, as I'm sure everyone knows, uh, there was two proposals on the table. One actually proposed by Jerry Jones. Uh, who was a, I think, is a personal friend of the owner of the Rams, and that was to uh, move the Rams into a stadium in, um, oh, help me out here, Inglewood. Inglewood, for all you Dr. Dre fans, uh, Inglewood, and that would be a, a Rams stadium, and then it was going to be an option for San Diego to join them, correct, uh, or for uh, the Raiders, and the alternate uh, uh, proposal was for a. Uh, Ra uh, Raiders San Diego Stadium, and that was going to be North and LA. Car no, Carson. And so Carson. So, uh, as I'm sure everyone knows, then the, the vote actually went towards moving the Rams. So, there's a lot of things we were talking about in the office today, what that means. Obviously, uh, that really is a impasse when it comes to funding. Um, I think, Jason, you were saying, how much was the state providing for the Rams bid? It was proposing $400 million. $400 million. and then the new stadium in uh, in Inglewood, is it all privately funded, or is there... I believe so. It's majority is private funded. So what does this mean for our cities? What does this mean for the bidding process in the future? Um, there was a little controversy earlier this year where there was a story on HBO about the whole situation. Uh, of course, our community weighed in on both sides, but um, the fact remains, how would this impact future bids? Will cities be willing to fork out as much money as they did, will they all rely on private funding? So I would put this out to the to the audience. You know, if anyone has any comments about that, please let us know. We'd really like to to hear your opinion on that because I think it's gonna be impacting for years to come. You know. Um, it seems like it's somewhat an unusual situation. You're talking about some major players and I don't think it's that often that the narrative gets this complicated. Right. You know, it almost feels like it could be like a Netflix series. Yeah. In a couple of seasons. Um, right. But there's also what what's going to happen in St. Louis. Because yeah. There's some interesting opportunities. Yeah. Right. That this creates. I, we were talking earlier about interest in the existing teams and what happens when that market tightens up a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, that could lead to some benefits mm -hmm. potentially for the existing, uh, the other major sports leagues. Uh, JLo, you're also pretty connected to the soccer world. So Obviously. has this had any uh, implications on soccer for St. Louis? Yeah, definitely. So even part of the original proposal to keep the Rams was uh, they would be able to lease the stadium to an MLS team. Um, so they were going to push to have four teams in St. Louis. Now that the, the Rams are gone and that stadium is completely off the plate, the whole um, emphasis now is strictly on Major League Soccer. Um, so, you know, looking at it, the way I look at it, it might, I mean, this could be a win-win for two leagues and two cities. 
know, the NFL finally goes back to LA. Obviously, that's huge for for LA. Mm-hmm. You know, some people in St. Louis were obviously strongly against <laughs> against the stadium and all sure. the public funding to where, you know, a soccer stadium, for the most part, I think they're privately funded around like 150 million, where it's a little more realistic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so do you see St. Louis still have three sports professional teams, and then LA getting NFL again? You know, is it, right. is it and, and possibly the you know the best stadium in the world? Potentially, um, you know, so yeah, I look at it as hopefully a win-win. Now, the stadium project, the proposed stadium in St. Louis was in the river, if I remember, or right on the river, right, right on the river's edge. Is that where soccer would happen, or there? That's the the talks are still obviously nothing's been finalized. I mean, there's not even an ownership group put together. Um, so there, there's one. A lot of people are pushing for you know just scale that back and just propose a soccer stadium instead. Mm-hmm. Um, or is it a relocation? So um, there's one um, architectural company in St. Louis that's proposing um, connecting it to the Union Station, which is a pretty sto- historic location in St. Louis, really close to Bush Stadium, really close to Scott Trade Center. So right. it could you know, kind of develop a little, a little sports right. campus. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, and then what's the whole two for conventions when it come to St. Louis, too? What are the attractions for possible attendees? What do you do with that old space, you know, the old Ram Stadium? You know, do you tear it down? I mean, I, I don't know what you could convert it to, really. Right. Well, the first thing I would add is it actually creates a lot more opportunities for conventions. Okay. Um, Go on. Most conventions, I mean, we see it in, with what we do. I think we're booking, you know, four, three, four years out for the most part. Right. Um, and there, you know, if you had, I mean, you're waiting on the NFL season, you know, you know, they had to avoid those, what, 17 weeks mm-hmm. of up until six months in advance. To where those uh, were a okay. lot of dead dates that just they couldn't touch. Okay. So it creates opportunities for, for okay. booking, but at the same time they're losing a tenant in all in ten event days as well though. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Well, and then when is the soccer season? When does MLS play? Uh, MLS is March through November. Okay. So that would be the new win. I mean, that could be a window then where the new conventions really would maybe want to be around because, uh, I mean, soccer. Um, I mean, it's what. I mean, I started playing in the mid 80s as a kid and it was just percolating then but st louis was a major hub for soccer even then right i can only imagine what it is now and it's a huge family i mean you know you yourself coach a team i know uh with your kids i mean so it's definitely a family affair sure uh tickets aren't as expensive i know people go to the fc dallas games a lot of families go in fact fc dallas was speaking against x uh they did an awesome just as a side note fc dallas i believe had the had the championship correct uh, it was a semifinal. Yeah, and there was a there was a combination of uh, unlucky with the weather, uh, new security systems. Needless to say, there were some delays. Uh, and but uh, FC Dallas had, a, I would say, a magnificent job of responding immediately to the needs of their fans and really trying to maintain their brand. And uh, that's been one of the stories of talking guest X, so don't miss out for that. But so soccer is because I think it's a young and upcoming sport. It really is hungry. So sure. it just seems to me there's a vacuum now being formed where these kids are going up in St. Louis where their parents were Rams fans. Probably won't be Rams fans anymore, I'm suspecting. So what's going to fit that fit that void? And obviously the Cardinals and Blues will fit a void, but a new MLS team. It just seems to me there's a perfect fit. I don't know why an MLS team just won instant. I'm surprised there wasn't one there to, there to begin with, frankly. Like, it's it's the birthplace. You know, U.S. soccer was born there, right? Or the first... I know a lot of players on the first U.S. national team, I think, was from St. Louis. Every, every single national team's had a player from St. Louis. Yeah. 
Okay. We so, <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where you're saying why there wasn't a team there before. I mean, the Rams' argument was the city of St. Louis economically can't support three professional teams. I see. Yeah, I, yeah. So, so definitely. So, in terms of St. Louis's convention centers, it's other sports. Uh, I'm sure it's uh, it's just it's people. I think it's itching for another professional team, and it just seems like it's gonna. Because I think is it Jacksonville is the other NFL team that that in two years could possibly move. Yeah, there's been a lot of rumors right. that he would actually even move to St. Louis. I think he's originally from there, the owner. Or to London. Obviously, that's. I think that'll always be on the back burner. Yeah, I, I saw a tweet yesterday that I think it said the year 2022, mm-hmm. right? That all signs are pointing to yeah, like a full time team. There was, I guess, originally maybe five, ten years ago that they had pushed. I guess 2022 was a year they hadn't said something and then mm-hmm. have never said anything about it negatively since. So. In London, to me, it just seems too far away, but I could be wrong. I mean, it just seems, why not put it in Toronto? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a major, major city. It's a fastest, as as, uh, as Bob Hunter, our host for AMC, uh, two years ago, told us, you know, it, it's the fastest growing city in North America. Hmm. It's just, and it's, and we've also seen the ra- recent, the Raptors doing better than they used to do. They got, I think they got in the playoffs at least two years in a row, right? For NBA playoffs. And they're, the fan base there just erupted with I mean, support. And you saw it with the baseball team this year too. And Toronto Blue Jays. So I, to me, the NFL would be much better served going to Toronto, but anyway, yeah, so, yeah. so, um, so how does this mean for our members in terms of job opportunities? Admittedly, uh, there'll be members or, you know, who work for the Rams who obviously won't be able to work at the stadium anymore. Um, obviously, uh, that's unfortunate. Uh, at the same time, though, there are new jobs. I guess, obviously, there'll be new jobs opening up in L.A. for the new stadium. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming they'll be hiring for this next season because they're playing immediately. They are getting – they are out of – they're not there this, this next season. And as one of our members pointed out to me, well, obviously, it'd be kind of hard to sell tickets for Ram season next year uh, now that they're moving. So, obviously, they are out of St. Louis. And so, you know, they're going to the Coliseum, right, in L.A.? Right. Mm-hmm. And isn't that a rather old stadium? Yeah, so actually while they're playing there for three years, it'll be going through a $250 million renovation. So I believe that's also the – is that where USC plays? I think you're well? right. So I think they're renovating it based off of right. USC to begin with. Um, so that'll be an interesting – So they'll be, be renovating and period. having games? Right, so working there it would be – that'll be definitely interesting. You'd be going from a you know, college football game on Saturday, not to mention dealing with all the different renovations going through, and then hopping, switching right back over to NFL on Sunday. So we'll obviously be following the story on our career page. Uh, hopefully, uh, if you're looking for a, a new position uh, in the California, uh, Southern California area, um, you know we'll start to see that soon. Obviously, I don't know if they have if they hired a management company yet. I don't know if they're even along that path. Um, I think there was rumors that Legends possibly was pursuing the, the F&B there, which at the, well, at the, the new stadium. at the new stadium, so 2018, 2019. I think there would be quite a bit of opportunities. Right. So. Um, Definitely, obviously, St. Louis is in flux, but on the horizon, I think it could actually might be even brighter than what they previously thought. Um, I don't think an NFL team will ever go back there. Uh, it just it seems to me that's pretty much dead in that regard. But as you said, St. Louis is a huge soccer uh, hub. Um, any predictions for what will San Diego or the or the Raiders will do? From what I've been, I mean, I try to keep up with it, but it sounds like San Diego's joining the Rams in L.A. They're just finalizing with the 
profit sharing is and whatnot in the new in the new stadium. So what's the story? Do we know why San Diego is losing? I mean, were they? I mean, the Chargers seem to be pretty popular, but that's I mean, in Dallas, Texas. I have no. I mean, is it? Well, they claim twenty five percent of their season ticket base is from LA. So with the Rams going in there, they 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 fear that they would lose that twenty five percent to begin with. So the idea being the loyalties to the location where the fans live, not location of the team. So it's the brand of the Chargers they like, not necessarily it's San Diego's team. Interesting. That's a that's a really interesting. Now I think you heard uh, what was the tidbit? Which city has never lost a a team? Yeah, there's one city in the United States that had, their major sports teams have never moved. And that is. That is. Should we give the audience a second? Okay. Yeah. If anyone in the audience wants to guess, it's one city. I'd say it's pretty surprising. Yeah. <laughs> anyone on the on the on the wants to send a chat in real quick? Give you about five seconds. Maybe we could even we'll send you some swag. Some uh, yes, swag. yes, or we'll sign something for you. The 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 uh, the on the uh, staff will sign something for or you. Or the wolf will sing you a song. Yeah, right oh, yeah. Hen and I will send a duet for you. Put yeah. it oh, for your ringer. Does anybody have any guesses? Okay, we have one guess of New York, New York. Okay, that's one guess. Any other guesses? Good guess. A big clue would be uh, it's it's an ironic answer because this city has gone through probably more economic challenge than any. Absolutely. For the last 50 years. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, it is Detroit. Detroit, the Motor City, has never lost a team. So they got the Lions, kept the Lions, got the Tigers, and the Red Wings. And the Red Wings. Has anyone. And the Pistons. And the Pistons. Do we know if they were started in Detroit or they got them from somewhere else? I think they started there, but we'd have to to confirm that. So I guess it'll show that, you know. even people who have moved away from Detroit, it seems, are ferociously loyal to to those teams. I, in fact, know a couple of people, from, and it's not enough because I know some people here in, at DFW who moved from Michigan who are Tigers fans through and through and will not. I mean, they like the Rangers, but they're Detroit fans. You know, they just cannot, they will not give up that loyalty. So I, it seems to me it's more of a loyalty base because I think it wasn't that the reason why the Rams left in the first place. The L.A. was not. Yeah, it was, it was dying. He was dying. Yeah, and there's something I you know I and I don't get conspiratorial about this, but I, I do wonder if the ownership, uh, other owners still don't like the Raiders for their now deceased former owner, um, Al Davis. Uh, he was notoriously for voting down or going counter to the rest of the owners. I think from right from moving from mm-hmm. um, or building a new stadium. So of course we you know we're like everyone else. We just read the articles everyone else does, but. Um, I have no idea what happened. And, and again, it just, it's amazing how quickly that plan at Jerry, I think it sounds like Jerry's plan came out of nowhere. Did you read anything before? I think it was from, because the, everything was coming out that the committee was going to recommend, which they did. Right. The, the Carson project, the Raiders, Raiders chargers. And so then all of a sudden and Jerry so had this like, new well, plan. Hey, yeah. You know, Rams, you, you can't go by yourself. You're going to have to adjust. And that's where he threw that in there. Cause obviously legends getting that contracts. Yeah, that's a good deal. well. It's like a double whopper. Right? Yeah, and I and uh, you know that definitely will be a nice uh, chunk of change because the Legends, of course, is owned by a joint venture between the Cowboys and the Yankees, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know I think we talked earlier too about you know the Raiders. Okay, let's say the Chargers go into L.A., which looks like they will. You know, will the Raiders stay uh, in uh, in Oakland or will they go somewhere else? And I think you even put forward you'd heard maybe rumors of maybe a 
uh, coming to Texas. San Antonio. No, no would it be no San? Is it in San Antonio or would it be uh, in between San Antonio and Austin? Well, apparently, the Raiders owner owns land in between Austin and San Antonio. Obviously, the Alamo Dome would be ready to host. Yeah. For the time being, and as a temporary home. But then there's also rumors too that San Diego would move to LA and Oakland will move to San Diego, or the Raiders will move to San Diego. I mean, it's a just nuts. I don't understand it. <laughs> yeah, and I just can't imagine Texas having a third NFL team. I mean, this is, this is Texas football. I know, but it's just to me, it doesn't make any damn gum sense. But you know, it's very so. Needless to say, very interesting for our members. Of course, our members in San Antonio will be there for performing arts uh, in March. You know, we have members of the Alamo Dome. I'm sure that would be interesting mm -hmm. uh, just to see if that would be the case. I mean, that would be really amazing. San Antonio is a uh, – it's obviously can support a pro team. It's had champions there, obviously, for years now with the, the Spurs. The same champions the same, for years. Yes, the same yes, – Speaking moved, of, yes. the Spurs, are, they're, what, 24-0 at home this season? Like, that. like Golden State and the Spurs, this is the first year in a long time that two teams have had the records that they have going on. And they play each other think pretty soon Sounds about right. maybe this week well hasn't there been controversy over which east and west is more i mean it just it is it is it schedule is that the perennial um critique of well the, the strength of the conference right yeah right so so you're saying that it's just unheard of to have two teams that undefeated this long yeah the, their home records are unbelievable obviously golden state everyone knows the Success that they've been, and right? San Antonio too. It's just it's happening at the in the uh, in the same season, both right? Times. And in Golden State and San Antonio, not. I mean, Golden State. It's what cities does it cover? San Francisco, yeah, the Bay Area, the Bay Area, uh, and you know, San Francisco, of course, has the, had the success with the Giants. You know, uh, I know several members who are big Giants fans, yep. rabid Giants fans. Uh, you know, we were there for performing arts uh, when they were, I believe. Uh, after they had won, I believe, and uh, we just heard stories of just just the uh, exuberance shown by that city. So, you know, San Antonio and San Francisco, uh, I don't know, can quite I think traditional winners now. I mean, but prior to their win, recent wins, I don't know if you thought of those team, both cities as as champions. New York, Chicago, sure. the older cities. So, um, you know, I guess San Antonio really has to think. You know, could it handle having another pro team? Uh, I don't even know anyone from San. I, I have never asked a San Antonian. You know what's your what's your NFL team? I suspect it's more Cowboys than Texans, but I don't know. But uh, interesting stuff. So we could drone on all day. We could drone on all day, which is a wonderful, uh, a, a very good um, a transition to our next topic: drones. So, Jason, uh, you are a liaison with the Industry Affairs Council. Yes, and uh, which which is a committee here at IVM. Uh, it's representatives from all across our industry. We get together once a month and we just kind of talk through what's going on in the industry, it's particularly issues that might require any advocacy or follow-up to make sure that we understand potential implications for our community of members. Um, so we had our monthly conversation yesterday. Drones yep. came up. Yep. Um, and one of the things that we talked about specifically uh, was the policies that venues are crafting to manage drones in their particular space. And obviously, it hits different venues in, in very different ways, uh, whether you're a stadium, a convention center, a performing arts facility. So uh, one of the outcomes of that conversation was uh, 
an effort to collect existing drone policies so that our members yep. could access this. So if you're currently an active IAVM member and you have access to VenueNet, which is our member discussion and resource area, mm -hmm. um, a conversation was started today and it has two examples. Uh, Jennifer Nakayama, who I believe is listening in. On yes, Jennifer's on, on. Yes. Hey, Jennifer. Jennifer uh, with the Hawaii Convention Center very kindly uh, shared uh, an excerpt from their policy that includes their language for drones. Um, and then we also have uh, Rip Ripito's mm -hmm. uh, Kentucky State Fair drone policy. So we're asking other members to go ahead and share theirs and also just discuss any small details, discoveries, challenges that they've faced. Again, venues are facing really different issues and especially the convention centers, drones are um, are really popular for event coverage. Uh, mm -hmm. So there, there are tons of requ requests coming in to be able to fly them indoors during events, uh, which is quite different than, than what our sports league uh, venues are facing. Right. But uh, we're going to, we're going to build a library. We're going to give our members an opportunity to really see what decisions venues are making. Uh, we're hoping that that'll help everyone kind of better understand what the options are. Um, how to how to leverage their benefits, but also how to make sure that you're securing your facility and making sure all your guests and staff and artists and teams are safe. Yeah. Um, if you're not a member, you can join. Then you can get access to all this great information. Uh, yeah. Uh, Jennifer, if you have any um, comments about, you know, some um, initial findings you've got, you all have had. Uh, if you like, I can unmute you or you can type in a message or if, if I, we understand too, if, if you don't respond, but, um, yeah, we love to hear, uh, what are those, you know, what are pitfalls, what are people discovering? And this is evolving too, right? It's a, it's a, FAA is just recently came with some regulations. Sure. Uh, yeah, right around Christmas, yeah. uh, the requirement to go through some level of certification or to become a registered drone operator. Right. Um, there are the standard restrictions around uh, certain venue types and certain areas in a, certain airspace restrictions. Um, and there's talk of restrictions continuing to intensify, mm -hmm. which is a little bit out of step with the mass purchase of drones that has already taken place. So uh, I think that there's a little bit of catch up maybe happening where they're trying to figure out how to manage this new part of our culture. Yeah. Um, I believe that, well, one, there was a video recently. Did you see the video of the drone over the ski competition? It was in, no. I believe it was in the French Alps. Yeah. It was a, a slalom ski race, and the drone that was carrying the camera for the live broadcast right. fell Whoa. just a few feet behind the skier. And it was a Whoa. large drone. It fell really hard. Nobody was hurt. Mm. Uh, but you could see, you could definitely see where that intersection of technology and the event happening could get a little unwieldy. Um, I think that there has been some interest in some of the leagues here in the U.S. of starting to use drones for uh, game day footage or mm -hmm. event footage, but there's been some pretty hes serious hesitation. Yeah, I mean, I don't really I, about that about in in the stadiums. I don't know if there's a location in the stadiums you cannot get to with a crane or a high zoom lens. The amount of points they have in the stadium that have cameras and you have the wire frame. Cam right now in the spot. Okay, very good. Yep. Um, yep. I, you know, I'm just, saying like I can't. I, I, sure, the angles are all there, but the footage you can get with drones is so unique. Right. And that ability to really 
go from point A to point B in elegant ways and really yeah. dramatic ways that you just can't replicate that. Even the spider cams, even though those have introduced uh, a tremendous perspective on events, right. it's still somewhat restricted in what it can accomplish. But you know, who's who but who's gonna make the call? Is it gonna be a situation where NBC goes to one of our members and says, Listen, we or the teams, you know, we wanna put this drone in your building and you know I, how much control it seems to me that our venue also would have a pretty big say in whether or not uh, who who makes the final decision in that regard. Does NBC go as part of the contract, we're gonna add drones and therefore the NFL goes, Okay, NBC you pay us whatever it is million billions of dollars okay venues you got to figure this out i just wonder where's the where's the rub and you know how do our members fall into that it's a good question i and i i don't i don't want to speak on behalf of people that i don't know the answers uh, that i don't know the full answers for but yeah i know that our sports leagues and we have there's the dhs subsector that represents each of the major sports leagues in the united states yeah i know that drones is a topic that that group interacts with and i believe there's even a dedicated committee at that level that is focusing on drones so i'd imagine any potential implications or any adoption would probably be discussed at a league level um and that would include security implications and i think the venues venues would have an opportunity to, to weigh in, at on. least be participants in that conversation. Right. Well, they would have to be. Yeah. I just cannot see them not being. I just, I just wonder if it's going to be a difficult situation for our members to go if they're not put in a position where they don't have a choice. Yeah. Now, take the leagues out of it and look at all of our other venues yeah. and all of our, our, our membership community at large. And right. I think they're dealing with drones in just a completely different way. And yep. It's much more. In fact, I know uh, one of our members mentioned yesterday for their venue, they have identified five preferred vendors that operate drones and they know that those vendors have all gone through the proper credentialing. They have the FAA clearance right? and, uh, and the venue just kind of has them on a record and knows that if an event is requiring some sort of drone activity, they've got this list that they've already kind of gone through the heavy lifting with and they can figure out how to incorporate that list of drone operators into the event. Yeah. And I just wanted to be a drone operator, one of those vendors, you know, I guess is the insurance going to be, is risk on you? As the vendor, not the venue, if something if it falls on a patron, like who does the patron sue then? You know that kind of stuff. I'm sure is on the minds of our members. Sure, it's that. That's why we kind of initiated this conversation yeah. at VenueNet because we know that everyone is is encountering it in some unique ways, and and there's a lot of problem solving happening right now. So we want to make sure our members have access to some solutions that that might be appropriate for their particular situation. Well, I think VenueNet, it's proven that crowd crowdsourcing a problem is really our greatest the greatest advantage that we have in terms of these type of issues. Uh, we've done this with a myriad of things. In fact, uh, Jennifer actually pointed a good, a good point. You know, there, there's a distinction, uh, you know, how does one handle, uh, you know, tenants, tenants and clients want to bring in a drone uh, or if just the general public. Sure. You know, and, and then, of course, as a general public, I would think, well, it just depends because, you know, you're. I would think keeping a drone out of a venue if, from the general public bringing in might be a little bit easier. But what if the general public's outside your building? I know we had at um, ICCC this year in Atlanta, uh, the Boston Convention Center. Um, they have facility. Their facility uh, engineers are actually uh, licensed pilots now for drones, and they use their drones for marketing the building. There's sure. a beautiful flyover they showed us. 
And then also for looking for structural damage, if they have a storm, mm -hmm. it's safer than sending a drone up than sending one of your members of your team up on a crane or a ladder, whatever, what have you. Uh, also, you can do it internally to see on the internal ceiling. So uh, I think convention centers definitely have the, the width and breadth of of the options to deal with this. Um, sure. Yeah, I think we're going to we're going to see operational uses continue to expand. I, yeah. I know that there's there's uh, at least some sort of prototype out there that can hover very high over an area and provide high detailed uh, video surveillance. Right. So you could do that for a festival or something that's in a remote property or your parking lot structure. You could use a drone to accomplish what typically would take uh, an array of cameras. Yes. Uh, so I think those types of uses will continue to emerge on the operation side. Yeah. Uh, a ton of opportunity and benefit. But at the same time, you've got drones. At, there's I can't remember the name of it, which is better, so I don't endorse it. But there's a drone that came out, or it's coming out this spring, and it's so consumer friendly, and it's uh, mm. it's got the blades that are somewhat better protected, so right. you can grab it. You can uh, you can use your phone to kind of chart a path. So if you're walking up a hill, you can use your phone to say, okay, drone, follow me as I go up the hill, and it kind of just does a nice tracking shot of you. You can let it go out of your hand, and it'll leave you. Mm. It'll go out and do a 360, basically a giant selfie of you and your crew or whatever you're doing, and then just fly right back and land in your hand. These are all just out-of-the-box default functions. So I think the tailgating scene, the parking lots outside of our events are people who just want to go downtown and get into the arts district and, and get some cool footage, you're, you're going to continue to see these drones accommodating that. And uh, so these policies, I think, are yeah. are going to be key to make sure that venues are, are prepared for all the different situations that they're going to be encountering. Well, and just in our in our, in our uh, personal lives, too, you know, Amazon is seeking uh, permission to use drones mm -hmm. for uh, Amazon Prime one day or one hour or whatever. It's Prime now. Uh, the what I was read recently that um, the drones it's 55 pound drones that can carry up to five pounds, which admittedly doesn't sound like much. Uh, yeah, well, I had to say here at headquarters, uh, the there's Amazon distribution center, not but what a mile or two away. Uh, so you know there you know if we order things to the office, you can get it sometimes within hours because it's so close. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna. Pick on the hen here. For yes, a go on. Since he's not here. Yes, uh, best time to do it. Yeah, he he orders dog food off of Amazon, sure. and it comes from that facility. Yeah, and it it shows up like thirty minutes later. Right. And the guy comes in and just drops down the right. ten pound bag of dog food and. <laughs> right. So the question is then, uh, you know, uh, let's say or your venue, let's say you want to start getting deliveries via drone. I think they're having to figure out how it's going to fly, sure. how to prevent individuals from knocking it off and stealing your Amazon package as opposed to a truck, you know, and then if it's only five pounds, not, that's not too much you can really deliver. I mean, I always had a dream of getting, you know, tacos delivered or, or a burger, but that I know that your dreams are about to come true, my friend. Well, that's just it, because I know Domino's was thinking about we would have a hub in a neighborhood, people delivering pizza. And so. You would pick a, you, a neighborhood to pick a location. That's the drone hub. So developers would start to have to figure out, all right, this is our drone delivery system. All right, this is the fiber This is the fiber drop. This is the drone drop. And you know, future developments will have to be built around where the drone's going to drop off the packages. It's just, it really is amazing how much it's really going to start changing plan, real capital planning, not just venues, but our interview managers in their homes, you know, Getting, so anyway, very, very, very interesting topic. 
I think this is going to be a huge benefit for the membership. Uh, anyone listening to this podcast, please go online at VenueNet. Please submit your policies. Please continue the conversation. I really think there's some uh, good operational benefits, as Jason talked about. I think there's some good marketing benefits for your venue. Mm-hmm. I think there's some uh, opportunities for some sponsorships to be your drone, yeah, your your premium drone provider. Well, not only a provider, but also, you know, that little blimps they had in the AAC were always good because they dropped the little Taco Bueno coupons. That's another throw in for your big sponsorships. Is that is that really the root of your dream of having tacos delivered? It's centered, most of my plans center in and around tacos and how I might get them falling from the sky. Falling from the sky, such that all I need to do is ask for them and they appear. Yeah, I think really is every Amer every Texan's um, dream. I would think. Anyway, will will drones be another hot topic for guest decks and ABSS? Yeah, I think I think they'll be in the periphery. I think that that will really be handled in the small discussion groups because um, bringing that we had it, drones was a big topic last year at Guest X. I think now we've had a year to think about it, and the regulations have come out. So I think you'll definitely see that in the independent discussion groups at ABSS, uh, just in the is that periphery, and also I'm sure at the bar in the evening. People talk about their, you know, what they're dealing in their venues or in our small discussion groups at guest tech. Absolutely. I mean, it's not going away. I mean, look right. at uh, just now we've had a 20 minute conversation on it. They can go on for hours, uh, given enough data. Uh, so, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and again, in Forming Arts, too, I'm sure we'll talk about it. And Venue Connect will do. And, you know, and I was on a call with MPI today and they asked me about it. So other other organizations are dealing with this, and it's just it's it's sure. everywhere. Well, I know the photographer that we use. We have a great relationship with our event photographer that does Venue Connect every year, and they asked us last summer if we wanted to add drone, drone right. coverage right into the mix. Right. right? And was it very expensive to do that? Oh, I didn't ask because I I knew it'd be a headache, but it's. Uh, but you might want to just look to see on their menu next year. Sure. Just to see how much it is, because that means companies, if it's if there's the barrier is that low to add it to their current business plan. I'll also ask them how much it would cost for that drone to fly over to you with a taco. That actually might be a good demonstration. <laughs> that would be. That'd be a proof of concept that I think needs to happen, ladies and gentlemen. Um, so plan on coming to Minneapolis this summer for Venue Connect. We're going to try our hardest to have a drone deliver a taco. Yeah, the 2016. To the wolf. Yeah, the 2016 taco drop. I think maybe it should be a goal. Maybe in the new stadium. Yes. Uh, Venue Connect, uh, beautiful new stadium in Minneapolis. Yeah. Uh, can't wait to see it. I'm hoping we are hoping to get some tours there. Yeah, I think uh, rumors of a hard hat tour. Yes. Uh, so stay tuned, rumors. Uh, ladies and gentlemen. Well, great episode, uh, gentlemen. Thank you very much for, for being on. We do have a question. Uh, anyone using uh, iBeacons at their venues, uh, if you have that answer, please email me. Uh, one of our listeners asked that. Uh, I know we used iBeacons at Venue Connect. Um, yeah, I don't know if you've heard anything. I think if if that uh, if that listener wants to reach out to the team at the Massachusetts Convention Center Authority, yes, um, Freddie Peterson and team, mm-hmm. they have a permanent install that right. they did with. Um, with Sherpa Solutions, which right. is currently a partner of ours, right? They right. permanently installed the beacons, and so I know they have they are integrating that into their uh, client experience. So they probably have a ton of data or at least have made a lot of progress in integrating iBeacons into the uh, event experience. I mean, and you're in con- I mean, you know, the various app companies out there, is that a feature that is, 
how much work does it take to be able to take advantage of beacons when it comes to software? I mean, is that too much of a thing? Uh, the companies that I talk to, they are all adding the beacon capability. So it's not going away. Beacons are not going Absolutely away. Absolutely not. No, I think it's it's getting more and more efficient, and it's bundled in. It's bundled immediately with the software that they've developed. So you're you're setting up your system and you're going. Just everyone, if you don't know what iBeacons are, uh, basically they are a is – it, is it an RFID tag? That is that essentially uh, – I think there's a couple of different ways you can do them. You can do RFID. They can be, I think, Bluetooth enabled uh, so that you get – you're interacting with people's devices when they enter a certain proximity. Um, they also can play off of a Wi-Fi network. So are they powered? Is each one powered to give off a signal, or is it like an RPD tag where it gets a signal and it bounces one back? to say Because it basically just says, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, and you know the grid. So if you go past a certain area, you know that, okay, you walk past this beacon, therefore this has to be there. App says, okay, XYZ company is there, right? That's the idea that it provides us another point for navigation. Yeah, I mean, they can do a variety of things. Right. Uh, they, uh, especially with what I just mentioned, like on a trade show floor, for right. example, they provide heat maps of actual traffic. So they're monitoring, <laughs> they're monitoring uh, actual density within their geography. Um, there's there's a whole number of features that are that are coming possible out. wayfinding, as you mentioned, right, being able and to move somebody from one beacon to the next. And I wonder if we'll start to see that more in stadiums and arenas too. I would think so. I think the maybe not necessarily just the navigation, but the idea that technology can customize the experience that I'm having, even versus somebody ten feet away. Yes, that's that's inevitably where the the guest experience. Almost, is a, I guess. I, I wasn't there a a team that put RPD tags in the season ticket holders' jerseys. So that when they walked past, oh, I don't know. it would greet them. I think they, I think that's somewhere out. Someone did that at one of our venues. I know that there are retail stores that are testing beacon experiences where you've signed in in the way that you typically would with like a loyalty program. Yes. So I've got, uh, let's say, um, ABC store. I've got their app because I have a reward program with them. Well, now they can use that beacon experience and they know when I walk through the door of the store. They can pull up my account. They know what I bought last time I was there. They might say, hey, you know, hey, you bought some sweaters. You might need some shoes to go with those sweaters. And right. they, can, they can start having that customized interaction. Right. Or they know if I'm a, a frequent customer yep. and they want to reward me. Uh, they're, they're starting to enable that level of custom experience. Right. It's just one more, uh, one more va- variable big data can use. Absolutely. The algorithms that we use. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all very interesting stuff. Uh, well, I, again, uh, for, you know, Jason Hensel, wish you could be here, but we'll be here next time. So uh, Jason LaRusso, Jason Judy, thank you very much. Uh, great conversation today. We'll be back next month, everyone. If you have any questions for us, issues, topics, please let us know and we'll see you next time. Thanks.